Today on Blue 58, the Packers don't need a defensive lineman per se, but another big guy is never a bad thing to have. So in a year where there's not necessarily a bumper crop of prospects, who, if anyone, should the Packers take? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink, happy to be with you here for another episode. Apologies that this episode is coming out a little bit later. As you probably can guess, Tuesdays and Thursdays are my normal recording nights. Thursday was a bit of a tough go. So the the, the new co-host is uh, is adjusting to having teeth, which I'm, I'm guessing, I don't remember myself, but I'm guessing is a, a big, big change uh, going from not having them to having them. And as a result, he's having some trouble both staying and getting to sleep. So Thursday night, long story short, it's quarter after nine. I haven't eaten dinner. My wife hasn't eaten dinner. We're real tired. Uh, the show is half prepped, and we said, you know what? Uh, probably we'll just get to this at some point on the weekend. It is now the weekend when I'm recording this. It's Monday, probably, when you're listening to it. And now here we are. I figure it's better to put out a good episode uh, that I've had the time to, some time to think about and um, really prep than try to get something out in the middle of the night uh, just so we can stick to the production schedule. Hope that sounds good to you. That's what happened at any rate. In the meantime... We should probably talk about some defensive linemen, but before we do that, two things. want to remind you, the voting is still going to stay open for a couple days on our podcast book club suggestion. I'm leaving that open just because since the episode didn't come out on Friday, I want to give people a chance to vote if that's something they're interested in doing. I think this is going to be an exciting thing for us to do together, at the very least very interesting, and we'll have a chance to uh, to go through a book together. So if that's something you're interested in, do- in doing, there is a poll in your show notes here. Give that a look. Uh, look through the books, make your selection, uh, and we'll, we'll go from there. Secondly, I wanted to take a couple minutes to follow up on our wide receiver podcast. No fewer than two people have asked me about one particular player whose name did not come up in the course of our discussion last week. Funnily enough, I woke up Wednesday morning, hours after this podcast was released, and thought, you know, I bet there was some totally obvious receiver that the formula we used definitely missed and that I should have mentioned. You know, somebody like T. Higgins. I bet that we didn't. Oh, I forgot to talk about T. Higgins. We should do that. Two people have asked me about him in the meantime, here is our T. Higgins discussion. So here's what happened. In our wide receiver uh, discussion, we had six categories that we looked at. And I only mentioned people in depth who appeared in the top 20 of those categories at least four times. We also did mention a few players who appeared in three of those categories. T. Higgins out of Clemson did not test. So that wipes out two categories. Then he was 22nd in a third, so he's down to three. Then he didn't really have a high percentage of his team target, so that wipes out one more. So you're down to just two where he really had a chance to finish in the top 20. But in those two, he did really well. And they were two pretty important ones. Yards per target and that all kind of catch-all production metric of wide receiver OPS. Uh, Look back to the last episode for a description of that. It's important. It tracks really well with overall... um, production jumping from college to the pros, he ranks really well in that. So is T. Higgins then a good prospect? I think so. And I think he actually might be a great prospect in a lot of ways. If he tests well at his pro day, he might be even with Justin Jefferson for me. So a step below those super top, super high echelon guys, uh, your Jerry Judy, your C.D. Lamb, your Henry Ruggs, right there with Justin Jefferson. Jefferson's numbers are, are crazy. 
Higgins are almost as good. It'd be like 1 and 1A between those two for me. He is Dane Brugler's number five receiver, the number six on ESPN's board. He's Pro Football Focus's number five receiver. There's a lot to like about him. Six foot four, 216 pounds, productive in college, caught touchdowns on 20% of his college catches, which is crazy to even think about. Versatile. Almost every scouting report you read about him has him playing all over the field, can do it all as a receiver. What's not to like, though, there are some question marks about how he'll test in the agility drills, which would be a big deal for the Packers, though potentially a little bit less in the Lafleur era, the, the Gutekunst era. There are some questions, I'm not sure if they're good or fair ones, about him being potentially a little bit too thin. There are some better questions about him uh, maybe just beating up on subpar competition, which I think is fair, but tough to gauge from the outside. Plus, you can only play the guys that you can play. It's not like he can say, you know what? We got Wake Forest, we got Duke, we got um, Syracuse on our schedule. But you know what? Me, just personally, I'm going to go play Alabama because I want to really show what I can do against some some better competition. Sorry, you're just kind of limited there. You, you can't do that. It would be hilarious to see T. Higgins going out there and just deciding to take on Alabama all by himself. It's funny to think about. Um, there's only so much he can control about the competition that he plays against. And he played well against the competition he played against. So it's, it's kind of a weird knock for me. But it's something you see periodically come up against guys. And it's actually something we're going to talk about a little bit today. Always take that one with a little bit of grain of salt. Two other things I want to cover as we kind of put our wide receiver discussion to bed for right now. And I think we're going to end up circling back to a couple of these positions as the draft gets closer, taking like a last look at what we think about guys before before the actual draft starts. Um, but that's a ways off yet. We're, we're closing in, I guess, on free agency first. Got a good question from a listener following up on the last, on the last episode. David asks, how much do you weigh route running for wide receiver prospects from college? Uh, Pack what she said podcasts make the case that Devontae Adams wasn't that great early and became one of the best, which felt compelling. Was that an aberration? Is route running made significantly better when in tro- pro training programs? So first, I guess to, to take the, the kind of overall view there, I'm not, I think running poor routes is more of a disqualifier than it is something that you really want to wait. I don't think you look at a guy who's who's running great routes um, as a, an overwhelming athlete in college and um, just say, well, I mean, he, he runs great routes, so um, we got we to gotta draft him in the first round. It seems like that's something you should be able to do if you are a receiver playing in college who's capable of playing at the NFL level. Of course you should be, you should be running solid routes. On the flip side of that, um, it's not an excuse to just get sloppy. And you shouldn't just be winning with your athleticism. So if a guy's regularly not running good routes, it's fair, I think, to ask why. And if it's if it's just because he's that much more athletic than guys and he doesn't have to run good routes, that's one thing. If he's just not doing it because he doesn't care, that's another thing. And that's where scouting comes in and we want to talk to to players who play with him, coaches, stuff like that, and figure out why this guy is the way that the, he is. Devontae Adams is probably an example of, of more the first of those categories there. First, he played in, in sort of a, a spread scheme in in college. So route running wasn't necessarily paramount there as much as spacing and figuring out what your route is supposed to do in relation to other players' routes. Secondly, is a really great athlete. Maybe not like 40-yard dash-wise, but in terms of the agility numbers and jumping and stuff like that, he could do it all. 
So he could use those sort of skills to, to get open and it didn't necessarily have to become a good route runner. But Adams, if you kind of want to boil down how to project route running to the pros, he had the skill set that allowed him to, to have the body control and discipline to become a good route runner. I don't know how exactly you project that, uh, how accurately that projects, but but looking at agility numbers, I think, is a, is a good way to do that. Whether or not he's an aberration, I don't know. I think that's kind of a, a, guy, a thing you have to take on a case-by-case sort of basis. Is this a guy that we think can improve in the pros? Is something that, that scouting departments are going to struggle with each and every year at almost every position? That's the big question, right? Is is this guy going to become a better version of what he is now in the pros? Because you're not going to be drafting a player for who he is right now. You're, you're trying to project a little bit here, no matter how good a player can be. Um, finally, to take that last question there, is route running made significantly better when in tro- pro training programs? I don't know necessarily about the pro training programs, but I can say this. If a guy wants to survive in the NFL as a wide receiver, he's going to have to become a better route runner. Unless you're like a Calvin Johnson, Terrell Owens, Randy Moss type overwhelming athlete, you're going to have to become a good route runner at some point because to an extent, almost every player you play against is going to be almost as good an athlete as you are within within reason. You just have to become a better route runner because that's what NFL players are. If you want to continue playing in the NFL, you have to become a good route runner. Otherwise, you're going to be out doing something else. You're not going to be able to stick around as a successful NFL wide receiver unless you figure out some measure of route running ability. Devontae Adams is an example of a guy who had a lot of great physical skills already, then became one of the better receivers in the league when he figured out how to leverage that into high quality route running. I don't know if that's a result of the coaching he's gotten or just taking something he was had the skills to do and really leveling it up. That's hard to say, being on the outside. But I, I can say that you're not going to stick around in the NFL if you don't improve your route running at least some. Finally, just looking at overall wide receiver philosophy, if we're thinking about what the Packers might do, I think if you can, this is a good year to get multiple guys. Take multiple swings at fixing this wide receiver position or at least adding more talent to it. I think there are two kinds of receivers the Packers could take. First, they need a sidekick for Devontae Adams, a quote-unquote true number two receiver. A guy who can come out there and be on the field the majority of the time and force defenses to respect him in addition to Devontae Adams. All right, so that's one type. The second type is what I would classify as a skill set diversifier. It feels like for two and a half years now, I've been on this train of the Packers needing to add different body types and skill sets to their position groups. Brian Gutekunst has pretty clearly demonstrated that he wants big, fast wide receivers. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that, but I think it does help your overall passing attack if you've got multiple body types and multiple physical ways of playing the wide receiver position. If you just have six foot three guys who run between four four and four five in the forty yard dash, that's fine, but you become easier to defend, I think, if you've just got one type of player out there on the field. If you're throwing out a couple guys like that, another guy who's really quick and agile, it forces the defense to make decisions about how they defend guys. If everybody you're putting out there is the same it becomes a pretty simple approach how you defend those players just from a physical perspective. You still have to defend the scheme, but 
you don't get the physical mismatches in exactly the same way unless you've got a whole bunch of guys who are just the greatest athletes in the world. And maybe that is the approach that Brian Gutekunst is going for. I don't know if that's super sustainable. I think the Packers should try to get one of each of those types of receivers. A number two type, which you probably have to take early, and then the talent diversifier type uh, in the middle to later rounds. Just somebody who can do, do some different things. Let's switch gears entirely and jump over to the other side of the ball and talk about the defensive line. With wide receiver, we had six different categories we wanted to look at um, in terms of figuring out what is a reasonable pool of prospects for the Packers to be looking at. We had athleticism. We had athleticism as it related to height. We have production, a few different categories. There's a long list. On the defensive line, I really just want to look at two relative athletic score, and production ratio. Everyone should be familiar with relative athletic score by now. We've talked about that at length now for like three weeks. Production ratio is our old standby for judging pass rusher productivity. And we we weight it towards pass rusher, but it's really about how often you're making plays on the other side of the team, uh, of the line of scrimmage, making plays in the opposing team's backfield. That's what you want to do as a defensive lineman. If you're not just trying to to be a space eater, uh, zero technique, nose tackle type, I think that's really what you're looking for. Trying to get upfield and cause havoc in the opposing backfield. Looking at just these two metrics or categories gives you sort of three buckets of guys. You've got guys who are athletic and productive, who rank highly in both of these metrics. You've got guys who are athletic but not necessarily productive, so high relative athletic score, low production ratio. And then you've got guys who are productive but not athletic, guys who got a lot of tackles and uh, tackles for loss and sacks but not didn't test very well. I think obviously you want the first. You want guys who both put up good numbers in college and are athletic enough among their peers to be considered good athletes in the NFL. But beyond that, which category comes next? I think I would tend towards high athleticism, low production if I had to choose between the two. I realize he's not a defensive lineman in Green Bay, but I think that's the rationale behind the Rashawn Gary selection. And I don't think the rationale there is the problem. You want guys that are athletic. I don't think that's a big big ask. The guys that are athletic and can move, are probably going to have a better chance of succeeding in the NFL than the guys who just put up numbers but aren't necessarily as athletic as their counterparts. The problem with Rashawn Gary for me, and we talked about this at the time and and several times since then, is that there were guys who were athletic and productive still on the board. Montez Sweat, Brian Burns, you know the story from there. Rashawn Gary, very good athlete, not productive in college. You have questions then about whether or not he can produce in the NFL. On the board, as well as him, were guys who were, who were both, who were athletic compared to their peers and produced well in college. Ideally, you would get both, but even then, if you're trying to get one or the other, choose the athlete over just the productive guy to a point. All right. Looking at these buckets of players, obviously we want to focus on the first one. There's going to be the most of them in that category as we discussed. There are four, discussed. There are four guys here who are athletic and productive. And right right off the bat here, I need to offer a little bit of a caveat for this, this entire discussion. First, not everybody tested at the Combine. 
Second, not everybody who did test did everything. So these numbers may skew a little bit, but I think overall this is going to guide our discussion a little bit. Four guys, I think, who qualify as athletic and productive among those who tested at the Combine, among the 30 or so linemen who appeared at the Combine this year, who don't classify as edge rushers, which is going to be an entirely different podcast a different day. So athletic and productive. First off the bat, Khalil Davis out of Nebraska. Six foot one inch, 308 pound defensive lineman. Very athletic. Relative athletic score of 955 and a production ratio of 1.02. Had 24 tackles for loss and 13 sacks in 36 career games with the Cornhuskers. What to like about him? 955 at 308 pounds is really good, even, I guess, relative compared to others. He's a former multi-sport athlete, was a thrower in track in high school, one of two Davis twins. We won't be talking about his brother. Um, Doesn't look like, oh, actually, yes, we will. We will get to him a little bit later on. What not to like, though, again, uh, 6'2", 308 is something that's going to come up. 6'1", excuse me, 308. Doesn't sound like it's a little small, but for an interior defensive lineman, it's a little bit on the smaller side. He was also productive, but not that productive. The the ranges in production ratio for defensive linemen are a little bit different from like an edge rusher. One is is good for a defensive lineman, but it wasn't like he just blew that number out of the water. He was just a little bit over over that figure at 1.02. So some reason perhaps to wonder about whether or not he's going to project at the next level. Second in this category of athletic and productive is Justin Matabuki out of Texas A&M. Six foot three, two ninety three, a nine one eight relative athletic score, which is real good, and a production ratio just over one. Uh, Twenty four and a half tackles for loss, eleven sacks in thirty four career games with the Aggies. He is Dane Brugler's number six defensive tackle. He is Pro Football Focus's number six interior lineman. What to like, you can probably play him outside on early downs at that side and then bump inside on passing downs. He had two very productive seasons to finish out his college career, but he is a little bit of a tweener size-wise. So you wonder, is he a true end or tackle, whatever. That may not matter as much for the Packers, and that's going to be kind of a recurring theme throughout this this, uh, position group analysis. The Packers seem to look at defensive linemen a little bit differently from the rest of the league, or at least conventional wisdom-wise. They look at, at defensive linemen a little bit differently, but um, he is a little bit tweener uh, of a tweener size-wise, a little bit smaller, a little bit lighter than a lot of other comparable um, defensive linemen. Maybe more suited to a four-three scheme as an end. You never know, um, but I, that is something that comes up again and again with him. Not so much the case with McTelvin Aguim out of Arkansas, six foot three, three oh nine, so it doesn't have the same kind of size concerns as Matabuki does. He's not quite as athletic, though. 8.59 relative athletic score, 31 tackles for loss, 14 and a half sacks in 42 games at Arkansas gives him a production ratio of 1.08. You like that he's productive over a long period of time, at least to me. You've got to be pretty good to play in 42 college games. And hey, that production isn't too bad either. He's athletic enough to play multiple spots on the defensive line uh, pretty effectively, actually bulked up later in his college career to move inside, which sounds a lot like a guy the Packers would like to have. Kingsley Kiki did the same sort of thing, so if the Packers are are looking to kind of double down on that sort of player, Aguim might be your guy. You do have some questions about what he is 
with a guy who has that sort of background. Uh, if he was really that great a player, would they have just left him at one spot? I think it's fair to wonder. Again, the Packers don't really seem to care about that sort of thing. So take that for whatever it's worth. Finally, rounding out this group of players, let's talk about James Lynch out of Baylor. This might be my favorite guy among this particular group of players. Six foot four, 289 pounds. His athletic score is 855. His production is off the charts. A 1-5-1 production ratio, 33 tackles for loss, 20 sacks in just 35 games in Baylor, at Baylor. What to like? Well, there's productive as a defensive lineman, and then there's this. It's uncommon to see an interior defensive lineman be this productive. You like his size, you like his length, but I think his athleticism does bring some questions too. Did he produce by using his athleticism or did he produce because he was athletic? I think there is a distinction between those two. Sometimes guys just fall into production a little bit because they're just so much more athletic than everybody else. You also wonder a little bit about what he is. He he played in a 3-3-5 defensive scheme in Texas or at, at in Texas at Baylor. So he didn't have a, a sort of traditional um, playing profile compared to some of these other defensive linemen just because of what what they did at Baylor. Now, the Packers do some sort of things that are similar to that. They use fewer defensive linemen than a lot of teams, and plus it's kind of a sub-league now anyway, so chances of you playing in just a traditional 4-3 or 3-4 scheme seem a little bit different now or a little bit less, so that's not that big of a deal for me. Um, overall, like what like what he offers here. The size may be a little bit of a concern, but at 289 pounds, he could probably bulk up at six foot four too. Moving on, we've got two guys I want to look at who are athletic or considered athletic but not productive. And for our purposes, we'll consider our relative athletic score of nine or better to be athletic since we are just looking at that one one aspect. We want to look at the most athletic of the athletes here. Starting with Carlos Davis, the second Davis twin out of Nebraska. He's six foot two, 313 pounds, a relative athletic score of 9.61, the best out of this group but not productive at all. Just a just a 0.55 production ratio, 16 tackles for loss, nine and a half sacks in 46 career games. He can run like crazy. 4.82 in the 40-yard dash at 313 pounds. Holy cow, if you saw that rolling down the field, you would get out of the way in a hurry. Scouts complain about his short arms. His production does leave something to be desired. So maybe just flag that production in the back of your mind if you're thinking at all about Carlos Davis. Uh, also in this category of athletic but not productive is Jason Strobridge out of North Carolina. Struggles with some size at 6'4", 275 pounds, one of the smaller, at least in terms of weight, defensive linemen in the class. But athletic, as athletic can be, a 9'4", relative athletic score. His production ratio good but not great at just .88. He is a little bit undersized, but he can move like crazy. He doesn't seem to have really done a whole lot with that athleticism though. Ten and a half sacks over 42 games. Looks like a guy who they wanted to get on the field as much as they could just because he was athletic and you're waiting him to figure it out and put all of his tools together, but he never really seems to have done that, at least not on a consistent basis. Finally, we've got our category of uh, productive but not athletic. And again, we're going to limit this category a little bit to just two players because 
if we're just looking at the one aspect, let's look at the best of the best. So we're looking for production ratios of 0.95 or better. Right off the bat, a caveat here, um, Javon Kinlaw misses the cut, though he is considered one of the best defensive linemen, linemen in this class. Uh, The South Carolina prospect had a production ratio of just 0.931. He probably would have been in our athletic and productive uh, category had he tested, but he did not. So he did not end up on the the list in that category. So so a caveat there right off the bat. Laurel Murchison out of North Carolina State is one of the most productive players in this entire class, a production ratio of 1.24 thanks to 20 tackles for loss and 11 sacks in just 25 games. 6'2", 297. Um, the thing that comes up again and again about Murchison is this phrase, effort over traits. Variations of this show up again and again in his NFL.com scouting reports. The proverbial try hard, and try hard here as a pejorative, which is something that I never understand. Of course you want guys who are going to try hard. And I don't care if he was athletic or if he, if he was productive just because he, he put out a whole bunch of effort. I, I do understand the gripe of guys who are productive only because they, they never let up. You'd like to see some traits that you can take and mold in the NFL, and he doesn't really seem to have those, uh, at least not in spades with a relative athletic score of 7.46. But I will point out that just going by his pro day numbers, since he didn't test at the combine, Kenny Clark's relative athletic score was just 7.55. So keep that in the back of your mind too as we look at, at these sorts of things. Plus, Murchison's a little bit undersized at 297 pounds, but if he if he has a decent enough um, athletic skill set and has high effort, you can probably find a way to use him, though he does end up coming down a little bit on the small size side too. Finally, in terms of production or productive but not athletic, we can't not talk about Derek Brown. If Murchison is a little bit on the small side, Brown has no such problem. Six foot five, 326 pounds, the number one defensive lineman on Dane Brugler's list prior to the combine this year. Did not test very well. His athletic score is just 6.09, but Everybody likes pretty much everything about him, even if he didn't test all that well. His NFL.com scouting report had 13 strengths listed to just six weaknesses, and the weaknesses just sound made up. Average knee bend creates inconsistent pad level. Okay, pad level. There's a Mike McCarthy favorite. Um, Of course, he's probably going to have problems with pad level because he's six foot five, but hey, that is a, a legitimate gripe there. Uh, doesn't have upfield stride quickness for playing in gaps. Yeah, I always worried about upfield stride quickness. Uh, plays past his toes, creating imbalance against offensive line movement. Uh, needs to keep working on sinking hands and feet as a rusher. Can get to half man more quickly with his rush attack. Has hip tightness that limits his rush agility in the pocket. Not for nothing. I was reading recently since since my job, my day job, requires me to to write and read other people's writing for a living. Happened across George Orwell's six words or six rules of writing. One of those six writing or rules of writing is to never use jargon when a normal word will work. And I just want to print that out and duct tape it to the forehead of everybody who writes these NFL.com scouting reports. Just use normal people language. What does doesn't have upfield stride quickness actually mean? 
can't get upfield quickly. Um, what does the stride quickness actually mean? That might mean something to a scout, but to a normal human being, the person who's actually going to be reading this, it doesn't mean anything. It's just a, a collection of words. Figure out a different way to say that. Don't use jargon. There's my soapbox for today. So we've got Derek Brown and the Rel Murchison, who are productive but not athletic. We've got Carlos Davis and Jason Strobridge, who are athletic but not necessarily productive, and athletic and productive. We have Khalil Davis, Justin Matabuki, McTelvin Aguim, and James Baylor. Who do we miss? Notable misses from this list who appear in, in scouting articles and, and things like that, rankings of the best players in the class. Raquan Davis uh, out of Alabama didn't have a great testing number, didn't have a, a great production ratio, but um, your mileage may vary with uh, Alabama guys as well. Also, Russ Blacklock out of TCU, kind of a guy who is good but not great at both production ratio and relative athletic score, 785 athletic, athleticism number, uh, 0.875 in the production ratio. Good example of a guy being just good in these numbers. The overall picture might be different, and a lot of people seem to like that overall picture. In terms of guys who I would take out of this class, I think this year at least I'm out on the guys who are productive but not athletic. In this class, get a guy who's athletic. Get a guy who can be a little bit of a prospect. The guys who are uh, productive but not athletic do seem to have some real athletic limitations outside of Derek Brown, I guess that is. Uh, so that really, I guess, just leaves us down to Laurel Murchison. I guess really what I'm saying there is I wouldn't take Laurel Murchison. Um, overall, though, skew towards the athletes if you have to. So out of this group of guys that we've talked about, out of the entire defensive line class who showed up at the combine, there are other players. Keep that in mind, too. Here's who I would take. Derek Brown seems like a no-brainer. You don't get that many people who have consensus on a guy if he isn't something something interesting. You would have to take him early, and this is not a commentary on where I would take guys, just whether or not I'd be interested. Javon Kinlaw, you don't need to see the testing numbers to like a, a production ratio of 0.93 at his size. James Lynch seems like he'd be a real nice compliment to both Kenny Clark and Dean Lowry, almost like a giant version of Preston Smith. James Matabuki, or excuse me, Justin Matabuki, I'd be a little bit concerned about his size, but I like his overall athleticism and production. As far as later round picks, I'd like McTelvin Aguim. Uh, his versatility seems like a really nice piece to add to the Packers defensive line group. Maybe a, like another late round Kingsley Kiki value type. And finally, Russ Blacklock. If I gotta take just one, it might be him. He does a little bit of everything and seems athletic enough to not be out of place on an NFL football field. What do you think? Who would you take? Uh, who are the guys the Packers should be watching at defensive line in the NFL draft this year? Let me know in the comments on YouTube, on Facebook, on Twitter, wherever you find this show. And if you find it in one of those places, if you find it anywhere at all, do us a favor and share this episode with someone you know who you think might enjoy it, because that's going to help us grow the show and bring more people into the tent so we all can become better fans, smarter fans, more informed fans as we try to follow this team that we love. That's all I've got for you on this episode. Do appreciate you listening in. Keep sharing. 
keep talking, keep this conversation going. Because if we do that, we're going to help everybody become smarter Packers fans. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.